want to speak to you a little bit about the uh, grace of God. You know, all of us were amazed by God's grace when we got saved, right? Remember that? When somebody shared with you the good news of the gospel, you've learned that you can be forgiven if you believe, but are you still amazed by God's grace? You know, we sometimes, you know, get back into the faith and we, we get busy with our faith, you know, praying and serving. And then we stop doing things like cussing and, you know, we don't sin as much as we used to, but we feel like we don't need grace. I think that what I want to say to you is that we need grace now just as much as the moment we got saved. Agreed? I, um, I have with me a cup. I used to have with, in my office a Chipotle's cup because it reminded me of God's grace. Uh, there was a time when I went to Chipotle's and they didn't have any money. I, had, uh, I planned to bring my wallet along, but I was checking out with Chris and uh, with Betsy and Jimmy. and didn't have any money. And the person said, you know, it's on me. And I said, no, no, I, I wanted to pay. And he said, no, no, it's on me. And then he did something astounding to me. He said, you know, how many, of there, how many of you are there? And I said, three. And he gave me three cups. Knowing I couldn't pay, he gave me three cups. And I called that my cup of grace. It reminded me about the amazing grace of God. See, grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. I did nothing to deserve it. It is unconditional. It's, you know... The person dispensing the grace is the one who's the hero, right? Not the one receiving the grace. The one receiving the grace is humbled by the grace of God, by the grace that someone shows to us. We don't really, you know, <laughs> we can't say really, aren't I awesome? Because I got something for nothing, right? Grace is getting exactly what you don't deserve. That's why grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. Grace is that which God gives us out of his joy and pleasure and delight. I think we have a tough time really understanding the grace of God. There's a guy named Evie Hill and uh, Evie, Evie grew up in poverty. He never knew his dad. His mom worked three jobs, put food on the table. And when he was 15 years old, he said to his mom, mom, I want to be a preacher. She said, Evie, Evie you need to go to college. He said, Mom, we haven't got any money. And Mom said, you know, God's going to provide for you. So, you know, the years went on, you know, through high school, Evie was getting ready to graduate, still wanted to become a preacher, but realized there was no money to pay for college. He said, Mom, I just want to prepare you. You know, I want to be a preacher, but I don't think I'm going to go into college. She said, Evie, God is going to provide for you. So, you know, the summer came to an end, and he took the long bus trip to the college, and um, he went to the bookstore and saw the books he was supposed to buy and the classes he's going to take, but he had no money. But by faith, he got into that line, you know, to register for, you know, pay your bill, but he had nothing in his pocket. And he said he felt embarrassed and in fear, and he just kind of moved up and moved up. And we got to be his turn in the, you know, to pay. He almost ran because this is ridiculous. He's like, what am I doing standing in this line? When just then, someone came to the line, a man, with an envelope. And the envelope had cash in it. And he handed it to E.V. and he said, the Lord will provide. And um, 
And so he handed the money to the, you know, the cashier, and she counted it up, and it was exactly what his bill for the college was. And this is a kicker. When she, she said, you know, your bill is paid, she took her stamp out, and she put on there, paid in full. And he understood the grace of God, that when Jesus went to the cross, he stamped onto us, it's been paid in full, to tell us that. He spoke the word, to tell us that, it's been paid in full. So we're sending you out, right? We're sending you out into a world where people need the grace of God. We need to be a proclamation of God's grace and a demonstration of God's grace. You see, someone demonstrated to E.V. the amazing grace of God. And there's somebody in your world who needs the grace of God. So what's the big problem? The big problem is we have something called sin. There's a sense that something has gone terribly wrong with our world. Just this week, as Eric was praying, a 64-year-old man, a multimillionaire, brought 10 suitcases and 23 automatic rifles into a Las Vegas hotel and opened fire in the evening upon the crowd gathered beneath. There has gone something terribly wrong with our world. If you had to put your finger on it, you'd say there is a problem with all of humanity, that there is sin inside of us, a wrong a inclination to do the wrong thing. Secondly, all non-Christian religions teach that man can do something to earn the favor of God. Basically, all religions teach that mankind has messed up the world. And all these religions teach that the world has gone wrong. They teach that man can do something to earn the favor of God. If I work hard enough, I can get God's favor. If I memorize a list of rules, if I follow the tenets of my religion, if I practice the five pillars of Islam, if I keep the Ten Commandments, salvation, in their view, is earned by one's work. You'll hear people say in conversations with them, I haven't really been that good recently. I haven't been a good Muslim. Well, why not? Because I haven't been keeping the tenets of my religion. I haven't been to my mosque recently. The measurement then of whether I am a good person or a good Muslim is my performance, my behavior. Third, most Americans, when you have this conversation about what they're hoping in, what they're trusting in, what their heart is treasuring in, will say they're hoping to get to heaven by being good. If you and I went out and talked to a hundred different people, and we said, what's your opinion about why people go to heaven? They would say, what would they say? I'm just trying to do the best I can, right? I'm trying to be the best person I know how to be. Now, I want to say that being good is better than being bad, right? And it's good to be the very best you can be. But God's standard isn't trying to be good. God didn't come to make good men better men. I hear people say, when I stand before God, I hope my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. I've started attending church. I've started reading my Bible. I was baptized. I'm trying to be a morally good person. But when you hear that, I am, I'm doing, what they're relying upon themselves is what? Themselves. It's what I am doing 
that will get me to heaven. Salvation is not a work that salvation is not a work that we obtain. It's a gift that God gives to us. It is not obtained through our effort. Which brings me to the fourth point, that God's standard is perfection. God himself is perfect, flawless, righteous. James says that whoever tries to keep the whole law of God and stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking the whole thing. None of us could possibly keep the whole law of God, even if we're trying to be good. A father was having an evening with his teenagers. They wanted to watch something on Netflix. They wanted to see this movie. The father had heard about the movie, and uh, he called into question some of the language and explicit sexual scenes in the movie. And his kid said, well, you know, Dad, it's a good movie, except for a few parts. Well, that night, the father wanted to make his point, so he made some brownies. He put in all, his, all the favorite ingredients, including some extra chocolate, into these brownies. And the kids smelled the brownies in the oven. They couldn't wait to have some. And the father brought out the brownies. And he said, you know, here, would you like some brownies? This one I want to say to you, I added something to the brownies. So what did you add, Dad? I added some of the dog poop. A little dog poop wouldn't hurt the brownies, would it? And amazingly, none of the kids wanted to have the brownies. Now, isn't it something how that... Hmm, isn't it something that how we are okay with the filthiness of our world? You know, if we were to grade ourselves, we may give ourselves a B plus, an A minus. But what, what, what grade would God give us in terms of living a righteous life? Which brings to the fifth thing I want to say, that God solved our biggest problem by sending his perfect son to die for us in our imperfection. You see, God is whole and we are broken. And God heals our brokenness, our imperfection, in the person of Jesus. Hebrews says, We see Jesus made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You see, God in his grace has gone to a cross, and that cross is sufficient payment for all mankind's sin. We will not go to hell for our sin. We'll go to hell for our unbelief that what Christ did on the cross was sufficient payment for our sin, you see. He paid a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. Which brings me to the sixth thing I want to say, if I review. We are justified by faith. We are justified in Christ alone. We are justified by faith alone. And we are justified by grace alone. Justification is God declaring us righteous. You say, how does this happen, Pastor Ark? because I am so imperfect, so flawed, so unrighteous. Now, a lot of people believe that if I'm unrighteous, if I keep doing the right things, God's going to declare me righteous. But that's not what the Bible is teaching. So I have to today my little board. Let's, just, let's uh, talk about three people. 
you can't see, the first, these are uh, three buckets, okay? The first bucket is my bucket. The second bucket is my wife Debbie's bucket. And the third bucket is Jesus' bucket, okay? And I'm going to give a little code now for my diagram, if you can see. The S stands for sin. The R stands for righteousness. Now, if you're talking to somebody, you want to explain to them what Jesus' gift to us is. This is a good illustration to keep in your mind, I hope. All right. So if you were to look at my life before I became a believer, this is what my life looked like. My name is R, but there's a lot of S's in this. There's an S here for sin, and a life S here for sin, and an S here for sin. But that's not the whole story. There's more sin here, more sin here, more sin here. But that's not all yet. There's more to come. There's more sin here, there's more sin here, there's more sin here. You see, when God found me, what characterized my life was sin. I am a sinner. I have sinned against God. So S's would be all over my bucket, all in my bucket. Now, there's a couple of little R's in there, you know, a couple of little righteous things I did. Though I was an unrighteous person, I did a couple righteous things. But if you looked at my bucket, it would be primarily about sin. You say, what's Debbie's bucket look like? Well, this is what Debbie's bucket looked like. Remember the righteous part? Righteousness, listen to her parents. Righteousness, did her homework. Righteousness, said no to herself. Righteousness, went to church. Righteousness, read her Bible. Righteousness, was baptized. What I would say is that Debbie's life characterized by righteousness. As a little girl growing up, her life was characterized by being a good little girl. All right? Debbie was spanked one time. I should have been spanked every day of my life. Okay. But, 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 Debbie's righteousness, there was a time back when she was six years old when her dad asked her to come and she didn't come. She got spanked. All right? So she did get spanked once, but one sin or just a few sins in her life. So I would say of Debbie's life, just a couple sins, but a lot of righteous living, okay? Now, if you look at the life of Jesus, what would you put in his? Sin or righteousness? The life of Jesus is characterized by complete righteousness, completely keeping the laws of his Father, right? Complete, completely following after God, obeying his parents, doing the right things, right? Always trying to help people. So righteousness. So here's what happened at the cross. Jesus, the righteous one, took on sin, right? He took my sin upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin, that I might become the righteousness of God. And what happened is God transferred to my account righteousness when I believed, not because of something I did that made me righteous. It's because of what Jesus did that made me righteous, you see that made Debbie righteous. I became righteous the moment I believed when I was 21 years old. Debbie became righteous in God's sight when she was five years old, she believed. 
because the righteousness of Jesus was transferred to me. We are justified then by faith, in Christ alone, by faith alone, and by God's grace alone. Is that good news? Number seven, salvation then is a gift. I didn't do anything to deserve this gift. The gift was given to me. I was at a wedding recently when a father was giving away his daughter at the reception, and he, this was Tim Rapp. He said, and I have to give you, Jared, my best gift. My best gift I can give you is Rachel. Now, from a father to give his daughter away is the very best gift he could possibly give. And you know, a father loves to give his children good gifts. And the greatest gift that God could give you is salvation. Now, you can be given a gift and not know how costly the gift is. You can be given a gift and not even open the gift. And you can be given a gift and not ever appreciate the gift. But salvation is a gift from the hand of God. Eighth, grace, to repeat, is God's unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. Let me ask it to you this way. How has God bestowed his grace upon you? How has God given you grace? How has God shown his goodness to you? When I was about 21, I was um, working, um, I just, just got into Debbie, and we got this rototiller. And a friend of mine by the name of Rob Van Ness had lent me a rototiller, except the rototiller was about 40 years old. And when I took it to the garden to work in the, with the rototiller, what happened was the, uh, the blades were turning, it, and it severed itself from the chassis. So I was trying to do this work in my garden with this borrowed rototiller, and it broke. I tried to find parts for the rototiller, but I could never find the parts. I searched and searched and searched, nowhere to be found. So I, being a spiritual giant, decided that I would hide from this guy, Rob Van Rob was my good friend, but I didn't want to face the music that I broke his rototiller. I just wanted to hide. When I saw him coming, I ducked into a room because I didn't want to face him. After about three weeks of hiding from him, I felt this hand upon my shoulder. I turned around. It was Rob. <laughs> and he said, Ar, how's the garden coming? And I said, funny you should say, I broke your rototiller. And this is what he said to me. Our friendship matters much more than that rototiller. On that day, I understood grace like I perhaps had never understood it, that I had broken this guy's machine. I thought I had broken the relationship, but he loved me beyond my own fault to bestow grace upon me. You see, grace is God's unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. And ninth, grace is something we receive and something we give. The Christian life is a response then to God's grace. We learn to be generous because God is generous to us. We forgive because God has forgiven us. And there may be somebody in your life now that you need to ask God for his grace to forgive. We're good to people because God has been good to us. We are gracious because God has been gracious to us. Recently, a man boarded a plane and he sat down with some soldiers. In fact, the the, 
plane was full of soldiers being deployed to Afghanistan. And the flight attendant came around and said, sack lunches for $5. And the person beside him turned down the offer because he didn't have $5. And he turned to his soldier friends and said, you know, I don't think the sack lunch is worth $5. We'll wait till we get back to base. There were about 10 soldiers on board. And what the man did was he went back to the back of the plane and he gave the flight attendant 50 bucks for the 10 sack lunches for these soldiers. The flight attendant, when she received this, took him by the hands and said, you know, my son has served in Iraq. It was as if you were doing it for him. And she distributed these lunches. <laughs> and then the pilot came back to shake his hand. And one after another, people on the board of plane handed him 25 bucks. So when he got off the plane, he handed these soldiers a pile of money saying, here, this is just because we love you. You see, the grace of God is something we receive and something that we give. Let's look together at Ephesians chapter 2, talking about the grace of God. It says that, Here's what it says in Ephesians, the New American Standard. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. You see, Paul himself had experienced the grace of God. He himself was a persecutor of the church. And God got his attention. And God changed his direction. You see, God could have easily wiped out Paul because he destroyed the church. But God did not destroy him. God showed him grace. And what he's saying in this chapter is, when you didn't have a relationship with God, when you were dead to God and God was dead to you, you were like zombies walking around dead. You violated your conscience. You were governed by your appetites and lusts. You were a slave to sin. You were far from God. This is what it says. But God being rich in mercy. You see, what Paul experienced, that we experience with grace is a but God moment. You see, this was the direction my life was on, but God. I was moving in the wrong direction, but God. I was on the wrong path, but God. I was so full of pride, but God. I was so full of myself, but God. I was trying to make a name for myself, but God. I was rising to the top by my own achievements, but God. I was hopeless, but God. I was helpless, but God. I was depressed, but God. I was addicted, but God. I was full of fear and anxiety, but God. I needed a friend, but God. I, <laughs> I needed hope, but God. What he's saying is that 
he had had a but God experience. But God what? But God, it says, who's rich in mercy. God is very wealthy when it comes to mercy. God has abounding resources when it comes to mercy. We sang that his mercy ever streaming, right, from his throne. God, is something that, God has something called mercy. Mercy is God's kindness and goodwill toward the afflicted. The uh, mercy of God is not new to the New Testament. We read that God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness. The psalmist says, For the Lord is good and ready to forgive and abundant to mercy to all who will call upon him. One of the beautiful prayers in the New Testament is, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon me. The people in Las Vegas need God's mercy. The people in Puerto Rico need God's mercy. The people in Texas and Florida need God's mercy. And guess who else needs God's mercy? We need God's mercy. Because of your great love with which you loved us. You know, if we could ask Jesus how much he loves us, he'd stretch out his arms like this and say, I love you this much. And when you get to heaven, the one who showed you grace upon this earth He'll show you the nail prints in his hands. He'll say, this is how much I love you. In this, the love of God has been manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. God demonstrates his love towards us in that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus now showed them the full extent of his love. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, what has he done? Well, you were dead in your transgressions. Dead means to have no life inside of you. Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank will say to people with whom he's going to have no dealings with, he'll say, and you are dead to me. You've heard him say that? You've not seen Shark Tank. Sometime you'll have to watch. So when he's making a negotiation and someone doesn't make a deal, he says, you are dead to me. Aren't you glad that God doesn't say, you are dead to me? Aren't you glad that God breathes life into us? Even when we were dead in our transgressions. You see, a lifeless person can't feel. And a lifeless person um, does not hear. And a lifeless person does not move. But now God breathes his life into us by his grace. We were dead in our transgressions. And here's the phrase. By grace you have been saved. We aren't saved by what we do. We are saved by what Christ did. If we were saved by our work, then we would have something to brag about, right? We would make God our debtor. But God will be a debtor to no one. There's a story about a guy who went to heaven's gate, and he was trying to get in by his good works. So the question was, why should I let you into heaven? And he said, well, I've been faithful in my marriage. He said, you need 100 points to get in. Here's three points. He said, well, I went to church, some really boring sermons. He said, good for two points. He said, I also served the rescue mission faithfully. Good for one point. He said, you know, at this rate, it's going to take the grace of God to get me into heaven. He said, that's good for 100 points. You can go on in. <laughs> you see, the sinner is dead. 
He lacks the ability to believe. He's deceived by his sin. He's doomed to destruction. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. You see, God has done everything necessary for our salvation. All we need to do is trust him. You see, faith isn't what saves us. It's God's grace that saves us. Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to save us. When a person gets aware of their sin, they'll try to do all kinds of things to deal with their guilt, even try to atone for their guilt by their good works. God's way is to trust Him. To trust Him. Because salvation is a gift. Salvation is the gift of God's grace received through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, God had a plan. God would send His Son to earth who would live his life as a servant and make an atoning sacrifice for our sin. God knew we deserved judgment and his wrath, but he paid the penalty for our sin, and in his abundant grace, he offers this to us. And if we'll receive it by faith, the Bible says we move from the category of being unrighteous to being declared righteous in his sight. It's not about works. It's about Christ's work so that no one can boast. You know, <laughs> there ain't going to be no bragging in heaven. Nobody's going to be bragging about how great they were. We're going to be boasting about how, how great Jesus Christ is. Salvation is received not by a single thing we have done, so we will make our boast in Jesus Christ. So then, you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, it says. Continue to live in him. You know, because this grace of God is so hard for us to get our hands upon, we have to remember that Jesus saw us, that Jesus carried us, that Jesus showed his amazing, amazing love towards us. There's two people who, um, whose life just really speaks to me. It's Rick and Dick Hoyt. Rick was... <clears throat> Rick was um, born with an umbilical cord that was wrapped around his neck. Because he didn't have any oxygen, he's never been able to walk or talk. And they found when he was growing up, he was extremely intelligent. They saw that his eyes would move, and they actually taught this little boy how to, um, how to spell by watching his eye movement for letters. And in 1973, some engineers, I love engineers, uh, they invented a computer that would make a cursor of his eyes and highlight letters to move to form into words. Now, that technology is being advanced and is used all over the world. When he, was in, when he was 15 years old, this young guy, Rick, one of his classmates was hurt in an accident. And they were having this 5K run to raise money for him. With the computer tapping out letters to his dad, he said, Dad, I want to run in that race. His dad, who had never run before, decided that he was going to push his son in the wheelchair. He was going to swim <laughs> uh, across the water. He was going to bike carrying his son in the front 
seat. Now, these two guys have run in 74 marathons and 255 triathlons. If you don't know what a triathlon is, that's 2.4 miles of swimming, 26 miles of running, and 112 miles of biking. To give you a picture of God's grace now, we show you the Hoyts. I am the young man in the chair being carried, being pushed along. All of us are in need of God's grace. We invite the praise team to come on up. We're going to sing a song, Come to the Altar. There's somebody here in need of God's grace, needs a fresh touch from God. Facing difficulties and hardships, it's the grace of God that enables us to endure. It's we find that grace at the throne of grace, coming before our God because he gives us grace. Maybe there's somebody you want to intercede on behalf of. So it's a great opportunity to come to the altar. And just pour out our hearts to God. And just let him know that we need his grace in our life right now. Maybe facing a really difficult decision. You need the grace of God, the wisdom of God, the strength of God. Pray with me. Father, would you enable us to seek you, God, for your grace? Give us a humility, a brokenness. Help us to sense our need or the need of those around us for your incredible, incredible grace. Pour out your grace, Lord, in lavish measure, we ask in Jesus' name. Would you stand with us as we sing?